The situation now is even worse. Flood is not above the poverty line. Welcome to this week's Flood. Um, we're really excited this time. We've got Jack, who is an organiser with Rahu, or the... Oh, Jack, how, how do we say it? Yep, that's right. Rahu, the Renters and Housing Union. Renters and Housing Union, the thing I definitely knew because I did the research. Um, we're really excited because I think one of the things that really came of our last discussion with, with Jim Mallow when we were talking about housing was that there isn't... It doesn't really seem obvious that there's a path forward and a place to have hope. So I'm really excited to talk to Jack, who's organising in this kind of area and find out like what sorts of things we can do. But before we kind of get into it, um, oh, heck, I should introduce myself. I'm Declan. I'm Matt. Hello. How are you? And we've also got... Oh, it's me. I'm Jack. Hi, my name's Jack. Um, I'm a delegate Hi, with the Renters and Housing Union. Perfect. We're doing really great. Um, so, um, yeah, that's that's it. Oh, so, okay, Jack, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, like, because renters, renters and housing union started really recently. Like, what, where did it start? Like, what was kind of, like, the catalyzing moment? Like, who started it? What's what's the go? Like, just, just give us some broad brush strokes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, we're actually just about to have pretty much our first birthday. Um, as Rahu, we started initially um, out of the rent strike um, that sort of sprung up around the beginning of the COVID crisis. Um, so, you know, around March last year, um, COVID was kind of, you know, bearing down on us and people were very uncertain about what was going to happen and, and how that would impact, um, you know, jobs and incomes, rent, etc. Um, but we're seeing lockdowns and things happening in other places and it seems like that was really going to be happening here pretty soon. Um, so uh, it was originally, I think, started from a few members of the IWW, the Industrial Work of the World in uh, Nam, Melbourne, um, but it expanded pretty quickly. I uh, got a lot of signatures on the pledge that was sent out about a rent and mortgage strike. So basically the idea of that was... Um, it was before uh, JobKeeper and the JobSeeker increases were announced and it was before um, eviction moratoriums or any kind of uh, measures to protect um, renters or, or people, you know, sort of in any kind of precarious housing situation had been announced. And there was just a huge amount of uncertainty. And the, the thinking behind it was essentially just how are you supposed to stay home and stay safe if you don't have a home to go to? Um, and with a lot of people losing their jobs, losing shifts um, and income and things, being really worried that um, there might be a, a huge sort of wave of evictions into a really uncertain, really dangerous situation um, that would, you know, be absolutely horrendous in terms of homelessness and poverty, um, as well as for health reasons, for, for exacerbating the spread of COVID. So that sprung up really quickly. There were something uh, like... 17,000 signatures on that rent and mortgage strike pledge within just a couple of weeks. That's amazing. Um, That's so many. Yeah, it, it was it was bonkers, honestly. Um, it was really cool to see. Um, that's around when I got involved, around April last year. Um, and then from there, it's kind of grown because 
you know, the people that were organizing were trying to split up into sort of local organizing groups and, you know, do phone calls to the people who had signed the pledge and everything um, and see where we would go from there. Um, and pretty much we came to the conclusion that like most strikes um, and, and actions of that kind of nature, it doesn't always really work very well if it's just a spontaneous action. You know, a lot of the time you need that kind of more um, longer term organizing, you need that kind of infrastructure behind it in order to have the ability to strike and the ability to take that meaningful kind of ongoing action. Um, yeah, and so absolutely. we voted, yeah, we voted to unionize. And so that is how Rahu was born. Yeah. Okay. So what were you, what were you doing like beforehand? Like, like, how did you, how did you get involved? Did someone like ask you to do something? Did you just kind of see it happening online and be like, oh, I think I, I can do this sort of stuff or like what, what, what was that process of like going from like ostensibly just like a punter to like one of the people who's, who's involved in this project? Um, yeah, well, I essentially found myself with a whole lot of spare time. I lost my job um, pretty quickly after um, the first round of sort of, you know, things shutting down and everything. So I was spending far too much time on the internet. Um, and I just saw things popping up on, I think I initially saw it on Instagram, actually. And I just saw an Instagram account about Rent Strike. And I was like, yeah, I love this. This is fantastic. I agree completely. And I was also, you know, in a place where I was like, right, I don't know what's going to happen for me because it was taking ages to, you know, process my job seeker claim and everything. Um, and I was getting quite worried about my own rental situation. Um, so I just, yeah, I messaged the Instagram page, I think, and then was like, hi, how can I help? Please, can I help? I would love to help. Can I help? Um, and then just yeah, got, <laughs> got added to a signal chat. And then I made a spreadsheet. And um, he here I am a year later, really. I'm still making a lot of spreadsheets, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I remember the moment I was like, oh, I really want to talk to Jack about this is when you said that... Um, that you know you, you got involved and started making spreadsheets and it, like because definitely around Brisbane around the same time we were seeing like there was heaps of like pay stubs about like a rent strike and stuff like that um I remember talking to someone um when I was when I was like door knocking for the greens who was you know very upset about the idea that people might be doing a rent strike she she had a rental property um th and that was a little while on but like it was definitely something that people like felt quite like like the calls kind of happened but nothing kind of emerged here. Yeah, there's, there's no institution that, that kind of emerged from that anyway, even though ostensibly like the Brisbane Renters Alliance had been around for a, a little while beforehand. I wanted to know like why, like what, what kind of happened in these, in those very early days that kind of like meant that people got spreadsheets and like, what did you do with your spreadsheets? And like, what, what were the kind of things that like ended up being the bones of an institution as opposed to, you know, just another Facebook group? you know, kind of talking about this sort of stuff or like, you know, just another kind of online petition that didn't really do anything? Um, I mean, good question. I guess, uh, I guess the, the original kind of um, jumping off point for that uh, rent strike pledge that was, it was a national rent and mortgage strike pledge, but it was started by people who um, uh, are living down here um, in, in Nam in Melbourne. Um, so that kind of proximity, and I guess also probably the the intensity and the length of the lockdowns as well probably had a bit to do with it because, um, you know, just being 
in our houses constantly. Um, and we definitely had a lot more of the kind of, um, you know, people with a lot of free time on their hands, people unable to go anywhere. And also a lot of people with less kind of hope that their lives would get back to some semblance of normality sooner. I, I'd say that that quite likely contributed to it. Um, and I suppose other than that, it's pretty much just like sheer bloody mindedness, just like, yeah, there should be a, a renter's union. There should be a union for people that don't own properties. Um, I think there, there were a fair few people uh, who were involved from early days who were quite keen on, um, you know, tenant organising as a general concept and who had a bit of knowledge about um, some of the tenant organising in Australia in like the Great Depression in the 30s and 40s. Um, and I think there's just a there's just quite a gap um, in that um, in that space uh, in in Melbourne especially like there is the um, the Tenants Victoria which used to be called the Tenants Union of Victoria I believe they still legally technically are called that but they are it's like functionally they're an NGO not not a union and so um, I think it was seeing yeah seeing a gap I wanted to in ask that. about this. Mm. Matt and I were talking about this like just just before you you got on the call about like because in in Queensland there's heaps of duplication we've got Q Stars who is I think like probably the parallel kind of NGO ish organization that's like ostensibly a tenants union but I don't I don't know about like what becoming a member of that union is or like anything like that I def they definitely run through government grants and there's also the like the the RTA or the Residential Tenancies Authority, which I imagine the Victorian state government would also have a body that like manages tenancies and they offer quite a lot of rental like rental advice and support, I guess, for, for like, um, what do you call it when you have to mediate, mediate a conflict? So like what, I guess like what, what does Rahu do, do that isn't those things or like what do those things, like what, what are those things like insufficient at basically? Like what, what's the go, why? Um, yeah, well, so in in Victoria, there's uh, like the government body that regulates um, tenancies. Um, that it's generally kind of split between Consumer Affairs, um, Consumer Affairs Victoria (CAV), um, and BCAT, the Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which does the mediation and the you know if you need to take your landlord to um, you know to challenge them to get your bond back or to you know get compensation or anything like that. Um, so those are the kind of the government pathways. And then there's the, yeah, there's the um, organization Tenants Victoria, which, uh, yeah, like I said previously was known as the Tenants Union, but it doesn't function as a union really anymore. Like uh, as far as I'm aware, and I have looked a fair bit, you can't join it as a member. Um, and they receive about uh, something over 90% of their funding is uh, from the state government. So it's a sort of government funded NGO. Um, and there's not really, I mean, there's some, there's some uh, like legal organizations, like legal aid and things that also do sort of resources and things sometimes for tenants. Tenants Victoria does make some really solid um, resources for um, renters and, um, you know, people in, uh, you know, unstable or precarious kind of accommodation. Um, but yeah, it's not so much an organizing um group as it is they provide you know casework assistance um and they make resources and things like that and some of those resources are fantastic and like i know that i've directed people to those resources because they set out really complicated tenancy laws in some quite understandable plain language ways 
uh, but it doesn't provide a pathway for sort of self-advocacy and it doesn't sort of, in, in my view, I, I don't feel that it particularly um, empowers people to take collective action. It's much more on an individual basis. And so what we thought was missing um, was really that kind of, um, that, that aspect of solidarity and that aspect of, yeah, taking, taking collective action um, as, a, as a group and, and seeing it as like a class issue. And I think it's a really interesting way to look at it because, um, you know, renters and, um, uh, and other people that are not homeowners are a huge group of people um, across Australia that, that face a lot of really common struggles. And so that sort of, yeah, we wanted to be able to sort of unite those people um, under, yeah, under common goals. It makes and a lot of sense to me that, that it's, Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, it makes a lot of sense to me that they're a really like growing constituency, right? Like there's one of the things I've, I've really noticed is like just door knocking with the Greens is like how much our, the, the constituency that's kind of forming around, around the Greens is, is this young people who have been like excluded from the housing market. And uh, one of like my, my kind of like Bible for like looking at housing stuff, which I had a, just a really brief look at before, before this is a book about the Australian housing system by an American academic who's like, and even like a decade ago, they're talking about Australia's having like 60 or 70% home ownership. And now it's already dropped to like 65. So it's just, it's, there's this really like marked kind of like change happening in the, in the composition of Australian housing where a lot more people are starting to rent. So it makes sense that this sort of like organization would start to spring up. Um, what, so like, Cause you're talking about like it's an organizing body and stuff like that. So like when you got your spreadsheets and when you got involved, like what, what do you do? Like, do you, who do you call and what do you ask? Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so my first spreadsheet, the first spreadsheet that I made was um, just about the contact details and location of a whole lot of different real estate agents offices, because in the initial rent strike and mortgage strike pledge, we were asking people, uh, to let us know which real estate agency they were renting from. Um, and so we mapped out all of those so that we would be able to sort of send uh, send a letter on behalf of the people renting through those agencies, letting them know how many people had, had signed this pledge and how many people were potentially going to be withholding their rent um, due to the, you know, as, as, a, as a COVID-related demand. So um, that kind of started and now... Um, we're more moving into sort of, um, especially as we're allowed to, you know, go back out in public and we can do things like go and talk to people face to face and have those conversations and get out there. Um, we're more moving into wanting to set up more like local branches and local groups so that people can organise around a specific area, um, get to know their neighbours um, and people that live in their neighbourhood kind of thing to be able to support them and, you know, keep an eye out for one another. Um, and then also like keep that kind of grassroots building and, and recruitment sort of going so that we can we can build up in those areas and then we can address, you know, help those different branches and those different groups address issues that are specific and that are common to their areas in particular because it changes um, from from place to place um, depending on the kind of makeup of, of those areas. And, um, you know, some areas have a lot more uh, like public housing uh, as well and so those are some issues as well that we're looking to kind of address it's basically um, yeah having having people to kind of organize around particular issues so um, 
we've previously been doing a lot of stuff that was fairly COVID focused because that was the immediate really pressing need that was um, really driving a lot of the engagement with um, not just Rahu, but the issues that we're kind of trying to address as well. Um, those issues were, you know, people not being able to pay their rent, people having to accept um, or being pressured into accepting rent deferrals rather than rent reductions. Um, you know, people worrying about what's going to happen when the moratorium on evictions lifts, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, the, you know, things like the cuts to Job Seeker and the JobKeeper program and things were really pressing and really concerning. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're sort of, I mean, we're still like a very young organization and we're kind of trying to plot out a bit of a course for ourselves to take now and into the future. But it is, it's really exciting seeing that we've been able to sort of provide support to a lot of people to stay housed throughout the pandemic. Um, and we're starting to get a little bit more traction um, in the kind of public conversation, which is great because I think that one of our, one of our um, big things is going to be sort of trying to shift the broader kind of cultural conversation um, because like you said, yeah, in Australia, the, the housing market is incredibly privatized and it's incredibly, you know, like the, the rate of people renting is going up, rates of homelessness are going up and rates of um, public housing availability are going down. So we're trying to sort of combat that and, and introduce the idea a little bit more that housing is a human right, because I think that in, in Australia in particular, the, the narrative is very, very focused on home ownership and property ownership and, and also on using property ownership to profit um, much more than it seems to be in some other places as well. So yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What kind of pressure do you uh, bring to bear on people? Like, because you, you've got, like a, a union and a strike and once you have a, a class-based analysis, once you start thinking in terms of a property owning class versus a, a renting class, um, and once you start doing what the NGO framework can't do, which is placing uh, your movement into a, into a context of class conflict and struggle, then you have then what that enables you to do is start thinking in terms of it's us versus an enemy or it's us like we have to wield power as a, a class of renters against the against somebody else um which in this case is uh landlords um and landlords an enemy of flood media so how do you first i guess how do you identify who you're gonna um target right and you were talking about um like putting together a spreadsheet of all the, the different uh, landlords and different property companies and different like weird go-betweens, which I think is kind of, Declan and I were talking before the show about how uh, so in some cases like tenants unions have been more effective in places where all of the houses are owned by one big company. Like there's one like big slumlord or like big, um, uh, I don't know exactly. Um, but like big landlord group that you can organize all of their tenants against them in the same way that you can organize all of the workers in a, for a particular company against the boss of that company. But it's kind of more difficult in Australia's property market where it's a much more individualized, like small time landlord model and maybe they go through a, an agency or something, but it's still like um, 
kind of ends up being like a lot of tenants versus like a lot of small time uh, landlords. So how do you um, first figure out who to target and then what kind of, like when you're organizing around some of these issues, when you're saying, okay, we need a, a rent deferral or we need more um, whatever it is that people need, like what kind of strategy do you deploy to um, bring power to bear on people and get what you want out of them? Um, yeah, that's a super great question. Um, and I think that you really uh, hit on a on a definite point of difficulty in the kind of landscape that we are operating in because, yeah, like you said, in a lot of places, you know, a lot of the, the kind of tenants unions and things that we are, um, that we look at that have been established um, in other places in say the US, for example, um, the, the model of property ownership is like, you know, you have a block of apartments and they're all owned by the same person or the same company. Um, and then it's easy to identify the target in that way um, that it's often not here. Um, and that's like, that's a point of, that's a point of, um, yeah, it's a point of interest. And it's, um, it's, it is difficult to kind of identify that. So I guess that we are, we are trying to sort of find um, commonalities between renters. So, um, you know, looking at which real estate agencies are particularly egregious in their kind of just violations and trampling all over um, people's rights and things, as well as, uh, you know, can we find landlords that we've got multiple people who are renting from the same landlord um, or, or the same the same company and things um, that we can, you know, sort of connect those people and help organize them. Um, and a lot of what we have done so far has been less targeting those specific landlords in terms of like campaigning. Lot, um, a lot of the time, a lot of it so far has been because it has been very COVID focused. We've been very, um, you know, trying to deal with the impact of the pandemic and things. And so we've been pushing, um, you know, the government essentially, we've been pushing state and federal governments to do things like keep uh, eviction moratoriums in place um, until such time. I mean, you know, ideally no one would get evicted because everyone should have a house, but, you know, things like um, we uh, recently were really thrilled to hear that the Victorian government extended the um, moratorium on evictions. Um, at the pretty much the last minute um, until September this year. Um, and that was like a, a big relief because otherwise there, there are going to be um, a, a lot of evictions happening. And there are people who are currently being evicted. There's um, not all of those uh, measures were extended. And there are definitely a lot of people getting notices to vacate and things um, at the moment. So trying to help people fight for their rights as they currently exist under the law, but we're also kind of trying to, um, you know, identify avenues to resist landlords, to resist real estate agents. Um, you know, the other kind of um, obstacle is that there is this real narrative in Australia about, you know, your, your quote unquote, your mum and dad landlords, you know, your, your casual property investors type of thing. Um, and that is difficult sometimes because you know, there is a there is a really big difference between a slumlord that owns, you know, 27 apartments um, and somebody that owns one uh, one investment property or something like that. And um, it's interesting because there are people that are like that who, you know, they, they have bought into the, the kind of the messaging that we're just flooded with constantly, that the way to kind of be successful 
and, and to secure yourself, a, you know, a stable retirement and things like that is to have an investment property and to, you know, to, to buy up a couple of chunks of, you know, of, of land and then rent it back to people for a profit. And that's, um, that is kind of, it is different in some ways to, yeah, somebody that's, that's a, you know, massive type of slumlord or whatever. Um, it's still, it's still certainly bad, but it's kind of working on those degrees and things, um, which is interesting and difficult because also those people who own, you know, one or two investment properties, realistically, they don't really own those properties so much as the banks own the properties. Um, a lot of the time they have, they have many mortgages and things and people say, oh, you know, I'm trying to pay my mortgage by, um, you know, by having uh, my, my tenants pay it off for me and things like that. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, I mean, the, the tenants are actually providing you with housing in that circumstance, but also it's kind of a, um, it's an interesting insight into the way that people think about property and the way that people think about this. So, um, yeah, I guess it's, uh, it's a really, that's a really, really good question is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Cause it's something that we're, that we're kind of like constantly in discussion about, um, but one thing that we've done a lot so far is sort of just help people navigate the system as it currently exists. Um, so helping people deal with the bureaucracy of things like VCAT. And, um, you know, we've had a couple of extremely big wins where we've uh, helped people um, have a, a VCAT ruling in their favour where it was ruled that, you know, their landlord was demanding ten, literally tens of thousands of dollars in some cases in unpaid rent. Um, and VCAT has ruled that, that that is not going to need to be paid at all. So that's keeping people housed and that is, um, you know, keeping them out of huge amounts of debt. Um, and a lot of what we've done so far as well is helping people negotiate. So being able to, um, pe people have found a lot of the time that even just CCing in a, a rep from Rahu into their email conversation with their real estate agent or their landlord has magically resulted in their uh, real estate agent no longer pushing for things that are wildly illegal um, such as you know illegal inspections or increases in rent or um, you know people who were originally promised a rent reduction and then as the kind of end of the um, eviction moratorium and things have neared their real estate agents have started demanding that they pay back all of the supposedly deferred rent, even though that's not what they've agreed to and stuff. So I think just having a, a group that can back people up is also really, really important. And I'm excited to see where that's going to go in the future too. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, like that's really interesting to hear about just like tagging someone in, in the email, like even if people aren't really totally sure what you can do that, that alone, just being like, oh, there is a group that does this is still enough to get people to think twice. Like, I know that with some of my hectic experiences with landlords, um, like I, I kind of, like I wish I'd had something like that. I've never really thought about this before, but just being able to say to like some of the dickhead lands or landlords I've had, like, oh, I'm gonna get the union on your ass. Or even just being like, Oh, just so you know, I've alerted my union, and they're like, what? Like, there's so much dodgy stuff that happens in the rental, and like the the renting space, that's just people pushing to see what they can get away with, and just like, doing dodgy things, because it's just occurred to them, just being like, oh, I reckon I could do this, um, and because like, 
so often uh, renting is just negotiated on an ad hoc basis um, or you don't, you know, like I, I never, when I was renting in Sydney, like actually gave the bond to the bond authorities and then every single time like got, like had them try to fuck me out of my bond so often because there's this real, I guess that ties into as well to like the fact that um, our property market is so kind of individualized in terms of ownership like so often you're not you're not negotiating with some big um like some formal body you're just cutting some kind of deal with some guy like you've never met because you just answered an ad on gumtree or whatever um and it's inevitably someone kind of dodgy and then you kind of work something out on an interpersonal basis and then like actually you know, a lot of the time, some like a deal that you just cut on an interpersonal basis is a lot less reliable, and like you kind of you can't actually trust people. So like um, having a, a formal arrangement, like Rahu, having something that even even if it just sounds like a a formal entity, even if it just already sounds like an institution, that actually changes the nature of the relationship. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so I was going to ask, because you were talking about, like, like CCing in your rep and stuff. So, like, I guess that kind of infers, like, the obvious question is, like, well, what, what's kind of the organizational structure? Like, so, like, like, there's members and reps. So, like, how does, like, how does it work, I guess? Like, what's that? Yeah, totally. So, it's not so much, um, not so much CCing in, like, a, a representative or anything as uh, we've got some people who do, like, a casework team. But basically, what we're kind of trying to go for is less of the service model of unions. So, you know, a lot of, you know, your standard sort of trade unions and things operate on the principle of sort of, you know, you pay your dues and then you um, let them know if there's an issue and they'll help you deal with it and things like that, you know. Um, and they have uh, organisers who, who sort of work full-time quite a lot of the time on, um, you know, responding. It's very like re reacting to issues that get brought up um, whereas we are more um, like we're a member-run union, an entirely member-run rank-and-file union. Um, and so one of the things that we're really uh, pushing for is to kind of empower, um, empower renters to do their own organising. I, I suppose it's, it's a little bit more similar to a more sort of like deep organising model in which each member can um, become a little bit more educated about their own rights and the, the landscape and can then help organize others around them and people that they know as well. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting, but we've got, um, you know, as we're expanding, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be an interesting challenge because, you know, uh, I'm sure that you guys are aware in, um, you know, leftist organizing and things like that we're running on the smell of an oily rag but um it's yeah it's really exciting so far so we've got so i'm a delegate so we've got de a delegates committee who's elected um and we've got office bearers like secretary treasurer etc um and then we have different working groups who've been working on things like media um eviction defense um uh social media and things like that um we've got like a union organizing committee and things, which is starting to kick off as well as starting uh, multiple sort of regional branches as well. And those regional branches have kind of the, a similar structure to the, the general branch as well on a, on a slightly smaller scale. Um, 
and we have a, a working group of caseworkers. So that's been really helpful throughout COVID and things because those are people, some of whom have, you know, like quite specialised knowledge. They are, um, you know, they've studied law or social work and things like that. And they're familiar with the kind of the spaces that we're operating in. And that's been extremely helpful as well with um, things like we were, um, uh, we went down when uh, people who were um, being housed temporarily at some of the hotels in the city. So there was a, the Victorian government uh, put up uh, rough sleepers in, in various hotels around the place. Um, originally, they, they, you know, they, um, they said originally when uh, the second lockdown happened that those people would be housed until April this year. But um, in late November, early December last year, people started to be evicted from there. Um, and the, the homelessness system is just wildly uh, inadequately resourced and underfunded and things. And so people were sort of being pushed into really inappropriate um, housing situations. And I think that what, that what that situation kind of showed us is that, you know, we've got some really cool specialist knowledge and things like that. But also what's really important is just the solidarity of people being willing to go down and picket outside a, a quarantine hotel or a, um, a hotel where people are, you know, um, being temporarily housed and just draw attention to that as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of, it, it's reasonably uh, horizontal uh, type of structure at the moment. And it will be interesting to see how we expand that in the future as we grow. Yeah, it's always, it's always a difficult thing to kind of see how that sort of stuff like changes, like horizontalism works really, really well with like 40, even like, even probably up to a hundred people, but then with different branches and stuff, it can get really hard to, to make decisions. I wanted to ask as well, like, like what's, so like, firstly, like who, who is the membership kind of drawing from? Is it kind of like the typical, like left kind of crowd, but also like, I guess what the process of becoming a member is. So like, do you pay dues or like, do you, like also how was it, how is a member recruited? Like, is it a matter of you know, someone saying, oh, hey, I'm part of this institution, you should join as well? Or is there like a recruitment kind of program? But also then like what someone's experience of that was. I know when I was working for like quite a service union, I started writing about the process of of being a member and being like, well, look, if someone, you know, ideally they would start in the public service and then this, they would be contacted by an organizer and then like they would become a member and then they get their emails and like, I guess trying to identify exactly at what point was their experience of being a union member an experience of collectivity and feeling like I really couldn't identify that very easily for a lot of these members. So like, how does, how does someone become a member? Like what, what's kind of that, like, you know, step-by-step -step process that someone becomes a member. Totally. Um, and yeah, I really feel you on that sort of, uh, finding the, the, yeah, the experience of collectivity and things. And that's one of the reasons that we're really wanting to focus on having like more regional branches and things like that, because it is easier to kind of be in really active solidarity with people that you, you know, that you personally know and that you trust and, and you know, that you kind of get to see and things at, at regular meetings and whatnot. Um, I think that's really quite important for, for people feeling like actively engaged and involved in the, the process of the union. But basically to, to sign up, I mean, uh, you can go to our website, which is rahu, rahu.org.au forward slash join. Um, and uh, there's a, just a basic membership form. Uh, you can fill that out and you'll get a call from a delegate, generally sort of within about a week. Um, and the delegates will call and sort of, you know, 
we like to chat to people about what their experiences are, what, what sort of gotten them interested in joining. Um, and a lot of the time people will have seen us, especially because again, like a, the majority of the time that we've existed has been in some, under some sort of COVID restrictions. And so we haven't been able to do things like stalls at a train station or at a, you know, kind of community center or anything. We haven't been able to do door knocking and things like that. We were, we were struggling even to do things like postering during um, the, the second large lockdown in uh, in metropolitan Melbourne area because um, people were genuinely worried about being sort of accosted by police for just walking and putting up posters and things. Um, so a lot of it has been online so far, but it's really exciting to see it move into a bit more of an offline space. Um, quite a few people have kind of come to us as, um, you know, at seeking assistance, like people are desperate, you know, and just sort of Googling, like, who can help me? Like, who can help me with my, like, I'm going to get evicted um, or, you know, like my landlord's trying to take all of my bond and things. Um, and so people come to us and they, they are looking for answers a lot of the time. Um, and what we want to do is kind of give them uh, some assistance if they need the assistance, but also give them the opportunity to kind of like understand and empower themselves more as well, provide them with resources and understanding and also just like the knowledge that they have a, a group that I, I do love that you you have said that we're an institution because it, uh, it certainly doesn't feel particularly uh, institutional. Um, but, you know, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Um, but yeah, having, having people um, know that there's an organization of people that are going to stand up for them and, and have their back is, is really powerful. So um, the membership dues are on a, um, you know, the, it's $10 a month for a waged, uh, a waged renter, um, $1 a month for unwaged. Um, there's free uh, membership for First Nations people and uh, temporary visa holders and migrants as well. Um, and uh, people who own their homes, uh, who own, you know, the, the house that they live in um, can be solidarity members. So you can join, you can pay solidarity dues of $15 a month but you don't have a vote in meetings. So you can come along, you can uh, help organize if you're really keen, um, but it's not, you know, like the decisions of the union are made democratically by the, by the branches. Um, and they, the, the people who can vote at branches are just members in good standing who are not solidarity members. Um, and the, the, the demographics that we draw from, I guess, yeah, there's a fair, there's a fair amount of your sort of, yeah, your, um, I guess, stereotypical, what is it, avocado toast munching millennials and stuff, um, because that's a huge proportion of who renters are. Um, and included in that is we have quite a few international students um, and uh, migrants and temporary visa holders as well. Um, we're hit super, super hard by the COVID restrictions with, you know, no real government assistance provided to them the way that um, people who are, you know, um, included as citizens were able to access with with uh, job seeker, and um, that's a that's a group of people who are often super exploited by landlords as well. Like there's a lot of really dodgy student housing um, because the the um, you know landlords and real estate agents already rely very heavily it seems on on the fact that a lot of people just do not know what their rights are in terms of renting. Um, they don't understand the system. It's really hard to pass. Like. Uh, I've even spoken to a few people, uh, some members of ours who are lawyers um, or, have, you know, have a law degree um, and they work in a different kind of law. And I've heard quite a few times that tenancy law in particular in Victoria is super specialised. 
Um, and it is really hard to understand even for Google who are professionals in that area. So the, the real estate agents and the landlords rely on people, the fact that people don't know what their rights are. Um, and also the fact that it's a lot of effort and a lot of energy to push back on demands that are being made of you by people like landlords or real estate agents who we're really conditioned to see as like authority figures, you know, like, um, but, but they're not really, you know, the, the, a real estate agent is not, is not an authority figure. They love to act like it a lot of the time, but they, they don't really have that much authority over you other than the fact that they can, they, they, they don't have authority. They do have power over you in terms of like, they can determine whether or not you have a home, which is terrifying. Um, and so just the knowledge that um, even sending emails, I mean, I've sent emails um, to, to landlords in the past. I, I got a notice to vacate at the beginning of the pandemic after my housemates and I uh, spoke to one another and we said, you know, like we're not gonna be paying rent. Um, and we received a notice to vacate, uh, which was illegal at the time. It was after the eviction moratorium had been announced, which banned um, evictions from rental properties for the reason of uh, unpaid rental arrears. Um, and I emailed back and I said, you know, this is this is actually illegal right now, according to the, you know, the COVID-19 omnibus bill passed on the 29th of March, 2020. Um, and, they they it, they just act with total impunity, you know. So people get really really screwed. So that's kind of our um, demographic. It, it skews younger currently, um, but also you know there's a there's a huge um, there's a huge amount of groups that we kind of really want to actively reach out to as well. You know the the fastest growing demographic of um, homeless people in Australia is women over the age of fifty. So you know there's a lot of interlocking issues around income inequality, around gender. Um, immigration, uh, students as well, especially international students, um, you know, First Nations people especially as well, um, especially given, you know, all of this, the land that is being sold off and, and re-rented out for profit, it's stolen in the first place. Um, there's, there's a lot of those factors. So we're kind of trying to um, reach out to a lot of groups. Uh, you know, there's some groups that do really great work uh, in Victoria's Housing for the Age Action Group and things, as well as public housing tenants as well. So, yeah, it's pretty broad. Um, yeah, it's actually, um, it's uh, really good to hear actually that you've got international students um, as a, like, because like I, like I know a few um, international students who have very persistently dodgy housing situations. And that is a really difficult thing to handle. Like, and I've lived with some as well. And like, they were clearly the people who struggle the most. Um, even like before COVID, it was really painful in some cases to watch um, people get ripped off because uh, they're in a like a, a vulnerable situation that don't quite know the rules or or the conventions as well. So much as just like figuring out what the like so much of um, the landlord-tenant relationship, I guess partly because it's it's so individualized and the law is so arcane, just operates on conventions. And uh, landlords, as you said, kind of love to throw their weight around and kind of imply that the, the stuff they want is all acceptable and like a reasonable ask. And then the stuff that you want is all completely off the table. Um, and especially when you're an international student coming to a different country or you don't know the social conventions, all of that stuff is uh, 
hugely magnified as a problem. And I think as well, like, just talking about power, you know, we talk about power sometimes like it's has to be like a physical force, like in the concepts of like a strike. It has to be you just walking off the job or you just not paying your rent or whatever. But in some cases, like maybe in this case, a lot of the time it is about um, power can just be about the like the the mindset or something as simple as so just like giving people the confidence that you have their back or even just something as simple as being able to guarantee that there's there'll be someone you can talk to like if you're in a shit situation you'll be able to call someone up who knows how a particular thing works or even just as simple as you know will support you or you know will be even just as simple as someone who you know will be honest with you about a particular thing which is so often that's what's missing like especially if you're you're an international student you don't know anyone in the country um your only real point of contact is your landlord you kind of like the landlord's in a position to really set the tone as to what's acceptable and what's not you you're suspicious you maybe kind of suspect you're getting ripped off but maybe that's normal in australia like you don't know so to have someone that you can go to, even as someone like who'll be honest with you, who is basically on your side, um, who will basically, who you can trust to tell you what's actually really going on, that's a hugely important thing. And that's like, that that's a, a power relationship as well. Um, so I think that's a really important work to be doing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's uh, we do some of the more decentralized stuff and that is a lot of what we've kind of done throughout a lot of the COVID restrictions, but it has been really fantastic to be able to do some in-person actions as well um, because it, it feels really incredible to be able to kind of see that power uh, in action as well. Things like, um, you know, there's a, there's a woman um, named Louise who is being uh, evicted. She's fighting really, really hard against eviction from a, you know, community housing provider actually. Um, after after living at her house for, you know, I think it was like 29 years or something. Um, and we held a, a small rally outside of her house a month or so ago, maybe about six weeks ago. Um, you know, and we had speeches from community members um, and from people who, uh, people who know Louise and, uh, you know, a couple of local councillors and things came along as well. Um, and that was, that was a really, um, that felt powerful. It felt really inspiring. Um, and I like just being able to kind of um, mobilize that kind of, that kind of thing is really exciting. It's, you know, solidarity in action um, and having people that will, you know, yeah, attend, attend court with you and stuff as well, if you need to, um, is really fantastic. So um, that's, yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. It's, it's really, really exciting. I'd like, there's, yeah, there's a few things more powerful than a bunch of people filling the streets, I guess. Um, I wanted to ask about, like, the, the other, like, horizon or maybe, like, nexus on which the, the union can kind of, like, wield power, which is the rent strike. Um, and, like, find out, like, how many people, like, participated in that rent strike. Um, I know you were saying you did it, but, like, how that was kind of received by various, like, for, like, Firstly, real estate agents, I guess, but also like landlords in general. And what sort of scale do you think of participation you would need or concentration of participation 
to like bring that to bear to get like real change and like who that could really affect i guess like like what can you what can you win with a rent strike if that's if we think of the rent strike as probably like the ultimate expression of renters power oh what can you win with a rent strike i mean oh how 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 hard can you go really i mean i i would like to think that you could win sort of you know housing for all uh eventually with that would be really exciting um but it's it is it's really hard to know how many people of the eventually i think there were over twenty thousand people that signed that um national rent and mortgage strike pledge it's really hard to get actual figures on how many of those people did withhold payment um, and then there's also the, the sort of distinction between some people were withholding payment in solidarity and some people were withholding payment because they just did not have the money. Um, and there are certainly a lot of people who absolutely just, you know, did not have the money at all. There are, you know, there were something like 84,000 people just in Victoria estimated to have rental debt currently um, as a result of the pandemic. So that's a, that's a huge number. Um, and then what can you achieve with the rent strike? I mean, it depends on how targeted you make it. So eventually it would be, I, I sort of, you know, really hope that eventually, hopefully not too far away, um, that Rahu is organized enough and has um, a big enough membership and a big enough reach and that membership is organized enough to be able to identify particular, um, you know, particular landlords or particular real estate agents um, and then, uh, institute a rent strike for things, you know. Um, it's, uh, yeah, that's a that's quite a question because it, yeah, it really depends on the um, depends on the scale of things. But I know that you know, in if we look at history, you can see even in Australia, um, there were a lot of really successful um, uh, anti landlord or you know, like sort of pro tenant actions taken in the in the nineteen thirties and forties where um evictions were just completely scuttled uh you know police or um you know sort of hired goons etc would show up to evict people and the whole neighborhood would turn up and kick them right out so i would love to see that kind of thing happening um and then on a larger scale as well um yeah what can you achieve with a rent strike i mean uh you know i mean like our current kind of like demands that we're pushing for right now um we've got uh, you know, we need we need rental debt cancelled. Like, if people can't pay, uh, couldn't pay their rent during the pandemic, how are they supposed to do it after the pandemic when job seekers have been cut to just disgustingly low, below poverty levels, and there's you know dozens of jobs, uh, dozens of job seekers for every per for every job that's available. Um, we want no evictions. Like we don't want people to be thrown out of their house. Like housing is absolutely a human right. Um, and it's, it's time that people sort of, you know, recognize that, you know, one person's right to make a profit does not outweigh someone's right to have a roof over their head. Um, and we want more, more rental protections for people as well. Um, as well as, and, and under that kind of comes like we want, uh, regulation and actual consequences of breaching that regulation for landlords and real estate agents. Um, so a lot of the times, uh, like we were talking about just before, real estate agents and landlords, they do wildly illegal stuff. Like they just go completely, um, you know, just completely rogue with it and they make threats, they intimidate, they show up at people's houses randomly, um, they, you know, try and micromanage 
what kind of cleaning that you do inside your house or anything like that. And um, even though a lot of that stuff is already illegal, it's the consequences, there's no follow through, you know, there's a lot worse consequences for renters who don't meet their obligations than there are for landlords who don't meet theirs. So in Victoria, we've just had new standards coming in, new um, housing standards that were really, really hard fought for. Um, and landlords are losing their minds um, about, you know, the requirement to have a working toilet and lockable doors in their rental properties. Um, but, you know, that sort of thing needs to needs to keep going. Um, and and the, the market needs to be regulated in general. So things like something in the future, potentially something like a rent cap or, um, you know, restrictions on how much rents are able to be increased even um, would be fantastic to see, um, as well as, uh, improving and expanding massive expansion of public housing as well, because you know the 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 public housing situation in Victoria is easily the worst in Australia, but across the whole country, it's not great for anybody. Um, I, I'm not sure about other states. In Victoria, the waiting list to to get a place in public housing is over ten years long. So um, that's it's completely unrealistic, you know, to expect somebody to wait ten years. Um, and, and that's 10 years of, of, of homelessness, essentially, of, of functional homelessness, because if you get a private rental in the time that you're on the waiting list, you reset back to the end of, the, the end of that waiting list. So, you know, and we're seeing um, governments uh, basically just pushing for more and more sort of property investment, more like uh, financialization, privatization, commodification of the property market as a whole, um, without any regard to sort of the fact that you know, this is people's safety and their, their health and their livelihood that's being affected. So, um, you know, not just rent strikes, but other kinds of actions as well. Hopefully we can, um, you know, build on what we've already done and get to get to a place where, I mean, the way that the way that I like to explain it in like the simplest possible way, um, because, you know, a five year old can understand this is that housing is like cake uh, because everyone gets some before anyone gets seconds. And it really does. It, it honestly like boggles my mind sometimes to think that there are people who own half a dozen investment properties, some of which are sitting empty just for, you know, tax reasons. And, and I, I just, I don't understand. I, I try to understand in order to, you know, like organize around it and to, to deal with the, you know, the situation, but it just, I do not understand how people, like how you can be someone that owns, yeah, six rental properties and half of them are empty because you're, you know, they're negatively geared and you're collecting tax breaks on them. Um, and you walk past people on the street who are homeless. Like that, like you have, oh, it just, yeah. You'd have to be an not MP very, or something, just yeah, disgusting. Right? It's not very, not very articulate of me to just be like tearing my hair out and like, ah, oh, what, what's wrong with you? But I just, yeah, literally like, how how people can advocate for you know increased kind of investment in in private property market and and treating housing like it's a like it's a financial commodity instead of something that people need to live is just it's mind blowing and that's kind of the frame that I I really hope that Rahu can kind of help introduce more into um, the the public conversation because I think that a lot of the time Australia in general has like a really whopping case of just landlord brainworms so hopefully we can um yeah. I don't know, be, be the, the worming tablet. This is a weird metaphor, but, you know, help, help get yeah, rid well, of the... Yeah, we something. The landlord brain is a deep sickness, um, and trying to 
trying to understand the, the psychological mechanisms at work here um, in the yeah the weird and dark mental space of the landlord is um, yeah it's gazing into the abyss. Oh um, yeah. yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in a couple of uh, Facebook groups uh, like there's there's one called Landlords Australia and I do find it quite funny because um, or maybe it's Landlords Victoria I'm in several um, but one of them. Uh, is yeah the landlords they've put an apostrophe in it and I know that that's probably just a typo but it's very sinister to me because the way that they've written it sounds like it is you know Australia that belongs to the landlords the, you know the landlords Australia and they own it um, and that's really that is seems to be from post in there how they genuinely view it they they literally you know the the people that are absolutely just crying foul over the fact that they now in Victoria have to do two yearly inspections to check that the gas systems are not leaking, you know, noxious fumes into the houses that they rent out is, um, is, is astounding. And it's, it is, it's, it's viewing housing as an investment and something to be profited from rather than something that people will literally die without. Um, and it is, yeah, it's a, that's a really, it's quite overwhelming. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so infuriating. It, but it is also really exciting to see people react to Rahu and to, to kind of um, understand that there is a group that can advocate, um, you know, advocate for um, renters and for people in public housing, for homeless people, for squatters, anyone that's kind of in a precarious situation is it's really cool. And, and to see people get involved and, and get really passionate and everything has been super inspiring so far to watch people go from that place of kind of feeling feeling very helpless because it can feel super helpless a lot of the time um to to feeling like you know they've got people with them and also that they've got a path of action that they can actually take to improve the prospects not just for themselves but for for other people that are in similar situations it's been it's been really really cool so far absolutely well um i think we're probably getting pretty close to an hour or so. I know you want to talk about um, the like starting other branches and, and it looks like potentially that's starting to happen in a few other states right now and potentially in Queensland, which which will probably have some of our listeners. What what were the details of that again? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I, uh, I have rambled. I, I do tend to ramble on um, issues of housing and such. Um, so yeah, basically we've got uh, members in uh, quite a few different places now and um, a few of those have kind of uh, expressed a bit of interest in um, joining Rahu or starting their own Rahu branch. Um, so there is an event, um, it's not a Rahu event specifically, but um, you know, we've uh, spoken with a couple of the people who are involved in organising it. Um, there's, a, there's a public meeting in, uh, in Queensland, in Mianjin, uh, run by um, the anarchist communist Mianjin um, and that is on the 15th of May. Um, it's a Saturday, it's at 1 p.m. Uh, in, uh, I'm not, I don't know the, um, the, the geography of uh, Brisbane, the engine very much, but it is at um, a place called Unite Common House. Um, and they're gonna be talking about tenant organizing and, and um, you know, unionizing as tenants in general um, and uh, floating the idea of potentially um, creating a Rahu branch um, up in your neck of the woods. So, which is super, super exciting because, um, you know, we started very much as we made a decision to kind of focus on Victoria initially just 
to keep it more manageable um, because that's where the people, the kind of core organizing team that came out of the rent strike generally were. Um, but it's really exciting to see it spread and, and kind of grow quite organically to other places. And it, and it shows that, you know, like we're kind of, there's a demand for it. Like people, people want to do tenant organizing and they want to, you know, like stand up together with other renters because I think it is a really clear, um, it's a really clear like class distinction. And it's also like a really clear issue to organize around is, you know, people need houses um, and it might not be quite as well established in some ways as traditional labor organizing, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities here um, for us to kind of, yeah, get, get really stuck in and, um, and build something really beautiful and, and be in solidarity all over the place um, and get everybody housed. Let's get people into some houses. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think it's like increasingly just to, to do with the, the whole conditions of our society. I think housing is con increasingly like the single issue that's worth that, that you can really like organize and mobilize and radicalize people like around and through. So it's, it's really exciting to see that. We'll put the, the details to that in the show notes when I publish this, which should be between, yeah, fifth, did you say the 15th of, of May? Yeah. I should easily get that out before then. We'll be fine. We're going to be fine. Excellent. That's, um, uh, the only, that's really cool. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I would like to say is that I, uh, did Google Rahu. Um, and it turns out it's a shadow planet in Hindu astrology. Uh, it causes eclipses and it's the king of meteors. Um, and it is also associated with politicians and the occult sciences. So I was very surprised when it turns out it's some kind of housing union instead of that. Yeah, that is, um, yeah, we did uh, talk about that a little bit at the very beginning when we were sort of deciding on our, on our acronym and things, um, which is, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's hard to it's very hard to find a union acronym that's not taken actually. Um, but you know, uh, I think it's yeah, we I support it. Yeah, yeah, we we asked around and a little bit, and it didn't seem to be sort of like a, a a huge issue. I mean, we're not you know kind of like trying to brand ourselves as um as uh any kind of as the king um, of association with the king of meteors. But you know, like look, if the king of meteors wants to get on board with Rahu. Who am I to say no? Absolutely. Um, and on that note. <laughs> Fantastic. See you later, everyone. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks.